Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Revival Center Podcast. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Here again on our Revival Talk series, we've been on this really, really fun series. I know that Pastor Jason and I have been, really been enjoying doing uh, this the Cost of Discipleship series where we've kind of been going back into church history and just been talking about different people who have encountered difficulty or encountered uh, pushback or maybe things um, weren't as the way that they should be, and they really stood for what God had them to do. And so uh, if you this is your first time on the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. Our community is growing, and we are just so thankful for each and every person who is a part of this. And of course, we always want to keep growing. And uh, the best way to do that is by, by word of mouth. So if you are enjoying this podcast and uh, you don't mind, please rate the podcast, please share it, subscribe to it, that way you'll get up to date. And if this is your first time, make sure to give us a, a subscription there, so that way you know when our next podcast is coming out. And uh, like I said, we are continuing on uh, here on our Revival Talks uh, series, and I'm joined again by Pastor Jason, so thanks Pastor Jason for being a part of this series with me. Yes, sir, absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Devin, for putting this together. Looking forward to our uh, topic today. Yeah, so kind of going in today, um, it is not going to be another German uh, pastor. <laughs> so uh, Pastor Jason and I were like, uh, we, we, we're not doing another German pastor, although we'd loved our past two episodes. But when you think about this person today, this is someone who ha- ha- was in a similar circumstance in that the Bible wasn't in being preached in the way that it was it was known. The, the, the people who were around him didn't know the Bible didn't have access to the Word of God, and there was a certain uh, absence of the hunger for the Word of God. And there were people who were like, no, I need this. And this person that we're going to be talking about today who stood against his country and, of course, the church and so many different things is William Tyndale. And so um, there's one verse that when Pastor Jason and I were discussing this that really stood out to him as what this time period really felt like. And so, Pastor Jason, if you want to share that verse and, and why this applies to this person today and kind of shows kind of our mindset as we're going in to talking about the life of William Tyndale. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's Amos chapter 8, verse number 11. And before I read it, you know, one of the things that, that sticks out about William Tyndale is he had a, uh, he, he had such a strong passion about people in his time period who had the lack of availability to God's word and how priests of the day were just simply uneducated when it came to God's word. The only available translation was Latin. And so if you did not speak Latin, then you could not read the Bible. And so that was part of the the the, uh, the deal for him. But Amos chapter 8, verse 11 says this right here. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So the famine was in hearing God's word. It wasn't for the lack 
of speaking, it was the lack of hearers. And I, I see that true today, but it was certainly true in his day as well. And God always will raise people up to address the needs of the day, uh, no matter what that need is. And there was a lack, there was a famine of hearing God's word in the 1500s, and God raised up William Tyndale. Yeah, and and so I'll kind of go over like a little bit of a brief overview of of his life and kind of what led him on this path, and um, and and just go from there. So uh, he was born in 1494 in uh, in England, and so he is an an English speaker. He, he is from uh, England, and so uh, he was a very very smart guy. I mean, just incredibly smart. He he grew up and he and he went eventually to to Cambridge, and he spoke seven languages, um, which is just incredible to me. Fluently, he yeah. could speak seven languages. Fluently, which is just uh, amazing to me. Um, but he grew up in that love and that and that desire and love for the Word of God, like Pastor Jason said, and, and saw that there was a big like theological understanding gap yeah. between those who proclaimed to be Christians— with what actually the Bible says. And the thing is, is like we, we do want to uh, note here that William Tyndale was not the first English person who really saw this in history. Uh, John Wycliffe was one who, in, in the late 14th century, he did kind of uh, start to do a translation of the Bible, the Wycliffe Bible, which was one of the earliest English Bibles. But he he was, that translation was gone, The basically the the little bits of scripture that you could maybe find in English, the church had all taken it away. I mean, it it, it had been taken away. So there had been tr- there tried to be these you know outcroppings of okay, can we do an English Bible? But William Tyndale finally said, you know what, I need to make a translation in English of the whole Bible. And one one distinctive that he made was that when he translated his did his Bible translation. He did so, and he was the first one to do it directly from the Hebrew and the Greek. And so he wanted to make sure, he said, look, it doesn't need to just be a translation of you know the Bible like from what I think it means. He went back to the original text because he knew Hebrew, he knew Greek, and so he wanted to make sure that the people knew exactly what the Word of God says. And, and so he, he made this, and of course this was the time of the printing press, so it really, you know, came out and, and and was expanded and huge. And obviously, uh, from a lot of what we saw in our last episode with Martin Luther, he kind of got a little bit of the same treatment in that the church did not like it. The church did not like having um, the break of the kind of the, I guess you could say, the cast or whatever you want to call it, of the priest and the lay people. You know, the priests were above and they knew and the lay people didn't. This broke that down. And so there was a lot of pushback to this. And so, you know, when we look at this part of his life of understanding the need, seeing the need, the love for Scripture, what was going on, you know, and the need for it, we talk about today, the, you know, like you said, that verse in Amos applies to today of there's a hunger for Scripture. Mm-hmm. How, you know, I guess the question would be how do we, like, like William Tyndale, see this and then, you know, move forward? Well, obviously, I think it's a personal thing. You know, For you, sure. you have to desire to, to, you know, read God's Word, to study God's Word for yourself. 
But the, the issue for them, for them in, in their day, is even if you had a desire to read God's word, you couldn't. Mm -hmm. And what is so fascinating about this particular uh, individual is, do you realize who killed him? It was the church. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was religion that took his life simply because he wanted to translate a Bible from Latin into English so that other people could read it. That is fascinating to me, that when you think you're doing a good work, that not everyone is going to celebrate that good work. It, it, for whatever reason, whether they don't understand it, imagine if you're, um, you know, you have your family, you know, on Wednesday nights, your family tradition is at 7 p.m. You guys get around the table, eat chicken, and watch Will of Fortune. And that's just what y'all do, you know, that's your tradition. And then one person in your family gets radically saved, gives their heart to Jesus Christ, and they say, you know what? Wednesday at 7 p.m., I don't want to sit around the table and eat chicken and watch Wheel of Fortune. I want to go to church. Now, you would think the desire to go to church would be celebrated by those individuals, but oftentimes what happens is that because there's a break of tradition, there's a break, there's a, 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 a the, what we normally do, we don't do anymore. That person is not celebrated. That person is vilified by saying, what, are you too good now? You too good not to sit around and eat chicken and watch Wheel of Fortune with us now? You, you going to church all of a sudden? And people begin to degrade the good works of someone else. And that's kind of what this was right here. Yeah, and, and so if we think about it for, for our daily lives, uh, I mean, I, I know countless friends I know countless people that I've come across that they've been saved, they've been radically changed, they've been, um, you know, they the the Lord is doing a work in their life, and they they're doing what God has called them to do, and yet what they thought of as their support system is is gone. Mm -hmm. um, what they thought of is okay, these people are going to be supporting me. This is a good thing. They you know they'll support me, but there was pushback, and you know when when you when you think about William Tyndale there was there was pushback to his translation there was pushback um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later of his standing on biblical principles um, you know you would think oh well you know if I'm standing on a biblical principle and the person that I'm talking to proclaims to be a Christian of course they're going to support me why mm. would they not but sometimes people have a religious mindset or they they have a mindset of they like the bible they like that you follow jesus until it affects them yeah vision is celebrated until it is implemented let me say that again vision is celebrated until it is implemented the reason is because the idea of something doesn't affect you but the moment that it begins to affect you now there's pushback on it Devin, I used to think the same thing. Um, I used to be super naive, and to a degree, I never want to lose this about myself. And feel free to inter interact with this at any time. But um, whenever I was at El Bethel growing up, you know, and got saved and gave my life to the Lord and was, um, you know, wanting to be a youth pastor and all that, I thought everybody desired the same thing that I desired, which was, how many people can we see get saved this year? I thought everybody wanted wanted that. My first experience, I'm not going to name the name where it was. It wasn't El Bethel. But my first youth pastoring experience at another church down in that area, um, it was a First Assembly of God church. 
I went into the board meeting, my very first one. I'm 20 years old, super excited to be there, super excited to get started. It was kind of a large town uh, population-wise, and there was only six youth in the youth group at the time. So I thought everybody else there wanted more than six youth. Okay? Yeah. Uh, that's just what I thought. I mean, you would think that it's like, okay, this is... What we're, what we're doing here. Yeah, this, okay? is the, this is the thing. We're all yeah. on the same page. We're yep. all a part of the church. Yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Let's yeah. go. Let's go after it. So I start laying out the vision. Um, we're, you know, we're going to have X amount of students go to youth camp. We're going to give X amount of money to speed the light. And it was audacious kind of goals. But you know what? You know, um, so what? And so we're doing it. I passed out my little sheets, and one of the board members cut their eyes at me and said, "Boy, do you know where you are?" Like. Yeah, I know where I'm at. There's like 10,000 people in this city, and we only got six students coming to our church. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do. What are you talking about? But what he was insinuating was this vision is never going to work. I don't believe in this, and um, you're wasting your time talking to me. That's basically what the insinuation was, and that was the first dose of reality um, that vision is celebrated until it is implemented. And I've also learned over the years that baby Christians don't split churches. I don't have to worry about the person who just came down to the altar Sunday, gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and their sins are forgiven, and they are radically saved right now. And all they want to do is worship, pray, get in God's Word, and go get more people. Those aren't the individuals who kill William Tyndale. No, it's the people who've been there for 40 years and don't like the change. And I, and I, th- I think when you, when you think about, you know, his life and, and, and what, he, what he was doing, if you think about, like we've kind of been uh, alluding to, is that it was the church authority and it was the governmental authority that were so radically different. And, and if you think about this is, is actually when, when you look at the way that England was in this time is that basically uh, this is around the time that actually the Church of England splits from the Catholic Church. So it's a, it's a crazy time in the church anyway, around when it's a little bit after he had already, you know, done the translation and there was already, you know, um, challenges and things. Because basically when you look at the Bible— it was basically a when that like translation when you're looking at the translation it was a direct challenge to the authority of the government and of the church because the basically at that time when he first put it out there the church the 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 king supported the catholic church so they're all together well then they split but the thing is is in all of these times when he is doing things even the governmental powers are connected to the church powers. So when you hear, oh, the king was opposed to him, you have to think in in this context, the king is considered the head of the church. So it's it's not just, oh, well, the government's opposing them, but the church is good, or, well, the Catholic church was opposing them, but this church was good. It was the entirety of that church body, like even the king was considered a part of the church then. Yeah, it was totally corrupt. Yes. Totally corrupt. Absolutely. And so 
when you think about this and this pushing back into authority, even in a way of I'm doing something good, you have to weigh the consequences of of your your actions of, okay, you know what? I know this is right. I know I'm, you know, this is so wrong of what's it, what it is. I know that what I'm doing, translating the Bible, saying, you know what, this deserves to be in the hands of the people, even though it subverts authority, there's that understanding of, okay, there's going to be pushback, even when those people are named, you know, uh, pastor or deacon, or in this case, it would be king or uh, priest or whatever, that we have to be wholeheartedly standing on the on the principles of the word and that be our foundation because if if William Tyndale had done it on the if his motivation for what he did was the authority of other people and not God's authority in his word he would have never done it and so it takes a a a type of faith of putting full confidence in what God has said and and that being in the word of being able to do something like this. And and so that's what kind of amazes me and one of the big things uh kind of moving moving forward in his life of of the fact that he actually spoke against the king of England in that when he basically the reason why just a a brief really brief history lesson the reason why the church of England ended up splitting from the catholic church is all because the king of England wanted a divorce. And uh, and so he said, well, you know what? I'm the head of the church. I'm going to make my own church, and this church is going to give me a divorce uh, because the pope, the only person who could give divorces at the time was the pope. The pope could sign off on it. The pope said no, so the king of England said, well, I'm out of here. And so that's why you had a church split, uh, kind of ironically. It was um, about a, a divorce. Well, when he breaks with it, the thing is, is Tyndale calls the king of England out. He's like, look, this is not right. He's like, look, I'm not a big fan of uh, this annulment. He said that breaking this marriage is against scripture. So right there, not even just in the Bible, you know, the, the translating of the Bible, but he he is holding the authority of scripture over the authority of a king who claims to be the head, head of, of the church. church. Yeah, he went all John the Baptist on him. He did. Calling out a leader. Yeah. And the same consequence that happened to when, uh, William Tyndale also happened to John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, is like, I know it's kind of hard when we talk about people, you think, okay, this is this is 500 years ago. He's He's, you know, risking his life like I'm just trying to live with my family and keep the peace and you know make things okay but the real deal here is that we we want a love for the word when we see that when when we see the word not being in the position that it should be you know we that's where we stand on that's our foundation and and so and and for William Tyndale that resulted I mean in his death and so he, I mean, he fled, he actually fled the country. He's like, well, I called out the king. Probably not safe near the king. Um, but he eventually goes to Belgium. He, the king of England tries to get him back, and um, he's, uh, you know, trying to, to, to pull him back to, the, to, the, uh, to England to, to be killed. And eventually he is arrested, and 
Um, he, he, he's uh, convicted of heresy. I mean, he, it is said, you know, this man is a heretic. He is not preaching the true gospel, um, which in reality, in that time frame, it didn't actually mean that you were preaching heresy. Anything that went against the church, they said, oh, that's heresy. That's opposing my power. And the king of England did the same thing. And uh, he was executed actually by strangulation. And then he was burned at the stake, <laughs> which is crazy to me. Yeah. It, it's like a lot of times people were burned at the stake, but that's how they died. Mm-hmm. This man, they didn't even, he didn't even get to the stake. They strangled him first, and then he, they burned his body after he was already dead. But one thing that I love about this is that he was always always about what God had called him to do. And it it is said that his last dying prayer before he died was, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Open the eyes of the king of England. He he wasn't in this stance of, oh, curse this king. He's going against it. He said, no, as he's dying, the man who's really convicted him to die, who, because, because he wanted to, Anola's marriage is now, you know, yeah. getting killed. And that's a common theme throughout a lot of martyrs, even if you go back to the Bible. Um, when Paul was standing trial and he was in front of the, the leaders of that day, he espoused his desire for them to be saved as well. And not just them, but everyone who heard him speak, he wanted them to be saved also. Paul did not wish ill upon the rulers of, of his day. He wanted them to be saved, even yeah. though they were about to put him to death. Um, the same thing with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Um, as he's being stoned, he says, Lord, forgive them. You know, he did not wish ill upon them. He wanted them to be saved as well. And then going all the way back to Jesus as he's dying on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. So it is certainly a theme that runs throughout a lot of martyrs that um, their desire for those that are killing them isn't for them to die also, it's for them to be saved, recognizing that I'm living for eternity. I'm not living for the here and now. Yeah, and and obviously that's easier said than done, you know? Um, it truly is a heart and a work of the Holy Spirit to be like that. It's a truly a work of the Holy Spirit to win if you're being ridiculed at work, to not want to have vengeance. Yeah. Road rage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, have, it'll be like, oh, well, this person is doing this to me and, oh, I just, you know, Get let me back. punch them in the face or I hope they lose their job or I hope this or that, you know, wishing ill will upon somebody. That's not the, the Christian way. That's not the Christian distinctive. And so it's the... Irregardless of your culture. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter how your buddies are and what they say at work. That's not... That what what we're talking about goes beyond culture, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's a foundation on biblical principles and understanding. Like for William Tyndale, he understood that this was bigger than him. That the whole point of him writing that Bible and standing on the Word of God was because he knew that the soul of the nation, that the soul souls plural. Of the in the churches, the people were at stake here. That it wasn't about William Tyndale, 
that everything he did was for the sake of the gospel. And that's why when you, when you live your life not with the motivation of what is best for me, like if I go through my life saying, okay, what is best for Devin here? What is best for Devin here? What is best for Devin here? I'm not going to live a life that then I can really truly sacrifice things, mm-hmm. that I will truly stand on the word of God, that I will stand up. Because if, if William Tyndale had said that, okay, well, what's best for me? He never would have done the English translation. I mean, the man could read. He could read all those languages. He could he could go back to the original manuscripts and read the Hebrew and Greek. He was he was set. But it wasn't about him. He had a passion for others. And he could have had a cushy job at Oxford. Yeah, being a professor, make good money for his day, and live out the rest of his life writing whatever you know, writing books or whatever the case may be in Latin. And, um, and be celebrated of the day instead of being burned at the stake. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is he understood then. He said, you know what, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And, and of, of a testimony to that, it almost, it, it almost seemed to find its fulfillment. That prayer was answered because, uh, you know, almost a, a year later, Hen- King Henry actually authorized a, a, they, the Matthew Bible, which was what it was called, which was mostly Tyndale's work. It, it it didn't have the full thing, but uh, it had some sections that had to be be done by other people. But it it was authorized by the king to then be printed. Mm-hmm. So even though Tyndale, his he didn't see that fulfilled. You know, he died. He he was burned. You know, at the stake and, and strangled there in in fifteen thirty six. So he was a pretty young guy. I mean, he's only forty two years old. Mm-hmm. But then he pr- prays that prayer, and then almost a year later. Then, what well, a translation of the Bible, which was mostly his work, is then authorized by that same king, yeah, to be printed throughout the the, yeah. the country. I'm gonna be careful what I'm about to say because th- what I'm what I'm about to say can be taken out of context, but I'm gonna say it because oftentimes when God begins to do a new thing, it is not accepted by the masses to begin with. It is often labeled as a heretic or it's labeled as not God or something. For example, when Jesus started to do the New Testament work, the new covenant, it was not received by the masses. Mm -hmm. He he was killed for it. When Paul began to preach grace over the law, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the the Old Testament mosaic um, Levitical law. He was... um, he was criticized for it. He was beaten for it. He was uh, stoned for that. You follow what I'm saying? Before it was accepted by the masses. Um, William Tyndale writing the translation of God's word in a different language was not accepted originally. Yeah. So anytime that you begin to do a new work for God, it's not always going to be accepted by those around you it may take a while for the the truth or the reality of this new uh, this this new revelation here uh, to gain acceptance, and particularly for those who were in authority. Yeah, because it, it's it's uh, it, it it challenges their well being, their lifestyle, and what they understand of their of their routine, and and so we always have to remember um, that as we. Are, are saved as we mature, as we go in our life and our routine, as, it, as we put some years behind us, 
to always remember that first love, always remember that first work, which is lost people. That's our first love and our first work. And never lose sight of that and not to become institutionalized mm -hmm. where you make the institution about your well-being. Yeah, exactly. That if God calls us to burn it all down and to do something else, that we're, we're okay with that, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it, sometimes it's it's hard to see that, and 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 a lot of times I think when we when we look at people from from history, when we look at people that have gone before, it's easy to see legacy. It's easy to see, okay, well they stood for this, but it worked out better. And sometimes it's hard to see from our our own lives, like okay, if I make this decision, you know, is this going to work out? You know, you know what I mean. And, and William Tyndale. He he didn't necessarily know. I mean, obviously, he didn't know that a year after he dies, that then a, a translation was going to be, you know, done, and and that, that the work that he had desired would be fulfilled. And so, when we think about you know sacrifice and standing up for what we do, and the fact of how it can have a long lasting legacy, I, I think William Tyndale is such a a, a wonderful example, and I think one of that is because of the actual lasting impact that it has on us even today in ways that you might not even know. That's right. Yeah, so did you know that 90% of the King James Version of the Bible, 90% is translated from what William Tyndale did? 75% of the Revised Standard Version is translated uh, from the English Bible that William Tyndale did, and a lot of um, a lot of phrases that we understand today from the Bible and that we use in our regular language comes from William Tyndale. You want to hit some of those? Yeah. So, it, it, like the, the the phrases of my brother's keeper, um, a moment in time, seek and ye shall find, judge that ye not be judged, the salt of the earth. Let there be light. I mean, so many phrases that, you know, the signs of the times, it came to pass. Like, if you think about how increment, like, those are even used by people who aren't even Christians that are talking about these things in a, in a different context. But because of his lasting work and, 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 and doing what he needed to do, it re reverberates throughout history. And, you know, it, when, if you use the King James Bible, um, you know, and, and you use that version, you are a direct beneficiary, not just in the abstract sense of where, I mean, all of us who read a Bible in English are beneficiaries, but if you're especially reading the King James Version, you are of a direct beneficiary of that translation and that work that this man did almost 500 years ago. And so, I mean, what, what, a, what an important way in, you know, of thinking of that and thinking of, okay, when we, when we see things in this world, when we see things in our lives that we say, you know what, this doesn't add up to what God wants for this world, what God wants for the church, what God has for our lives, and we have that conviction that no matter what those in authority, no matter what our friends, no matter what um, the established thing says, and obviously the caveat here is if the foundation is in God's word. You know, we're not 
saying, I feel this way, therefore I go rogue and I buck the authority. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing what I want to. Let's do it. Let's do it. It is a foundation on God's word. But the thing is, is that when you have that foundation of God's word, you have that conviction and you stand on it, sometimes it might not be completely pleasant. That's right. But when you're faithful, God is faithful. And you see in the life of, of William Tyndale that it truly did affect the people that were of his day that came after him, but also us today. And I think that that's a wonderful legacy. And so uh, I appreciate, uh, thanks Pastor Jason for you being on and doing this with me. And uh, I tell you, Pastor Jason, he adds to the discussion so incredibly well. It would be so insanely boring if it was just me listing off some history. So thank you, Pastor Jason, for always being on with me. Absolutely, man. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to be a part of it and uh, and making it happen. So yeah. Excellent. Yep. And so uh, thank you for, for joining us on this series. This will actually be our last part uh, of this uh, short little series on kind of going back into church history. Um, just kind of giving you guys, if you're listening to this one, kind of a preview of what's coming up. We'll have um, a couple episodes kind of to end out the year um, talking about 2020, uh, the events of happening, talking about the Christmas season a little bit, you know, kind of ending up. And then coming up in January, um, if you are a part of our church, you know this, but um, if you're maybe listening from somewhere else, our, our January, we always start off with what we call Kingdom Builders. Uh, we, we do our um, all of our missions and outreach is, is funneled through Kingdom Builders, so uh, foreign missions, local agencies, things like that. So in January, we're going to be talking about missions. We're going to be talking about missionaries and uh, just really, really hitting that home. So um, we're really looking forward to what is coming up here on the Revival Talks podcast. And so I just wanted to kind of give you guys kind of a, a window into what's going to be coming up as we finish this series. But uh, thank you so much, you guys, for being a part of our podcast. We couldn't do what we do without you, the listeners. So, you know, um, and so we're just so thankful um, for, for what you guys do by listening, by sharing, uh, by subscribing. We just so appreciate all that you do and being a part and sitting down with us and, and just uh, doing life together and being in community. So thank you guys for listening. 